today we're going to be talking about um, the last of our series, our detox, uh, soul detox series. We're going to be talking about the seduced soul. And, uh, all right, we're just, I wanted to see if that would work. All right, you can cut it. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes the messages that we need to hear the most are the ones we have the most difficulty recognizing. This is one of those messages. And so I just want you to realize how big a deal this is because it's going to be real easy today to say, man, that was a great message for my husband or my friend or that jerk um, and miss what God has to say for you. And so I just want to caution you that your enemy does not want you to hear what God has to say for you today. So I'm just going to ask you just to pause, bow your heads for just a second, and I want you to pray two prayers. First one is, God, help me to hear. Just silently in your mind, pray that God help me to hear. Second one is, God help me to obey. Father, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in this place today. For those of us who are your children, God, I pray that you convict us and you draw us nearer to you so that we might be more like Christ when we leave here today. And God, for those people in this room who do not know Jesus Christ, it's my prayer that your Holy Spirit would work in them in such a way that you would draw them into your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a couple of pictures I want to show you, and I want to get your reaction to these. Here's the first one. What is, what is your reaction? Awe. The dude's holding a snake. That is not awe. Okay, sorry. Wait, all the, all the kids up here. Ah, oh, that's great. Now, that's actually a coral snake. That's a variety of coral snake, but it's not the bad one. What's, you remember? Red and yellow, kill a fella, red and black, friend of Jack. Okay, so I'm thinking um, if you see this, this red and yellow and it's, and it's crawling through the yard and you're already teaching a kid to pick up snakes, what's the kid going to do? Coral snakes are pretty. What's the problem with coral snakes? They're deadly. Okay, here's another one. Now, if, if that is your child and you're at the rattlesnake round, roundup, are you going to let some bozo who's holding it get that close to your child? I'm sorry. I don't know bozos who do that. And if you do, forgive me. If you're one of those, you're still not getting close to my child with a rattlesnake. Why? Oops. I didn't mean to. Got a fang right there in your eyeball. Sorry. Here's, here's another one. Now, have you, have you heard of, of boa constrictors um, mistaking babies for food? What idiot lets their child bathe with one? I mean, the kids, now the kids, you, can, you, you don't have to blame the kids, right? Why? They don't know any better. But the parents smack them. Parents should know. Now, here's the thing. Kids see these animals, and, and they may or may not be afraid of them, but they don't know any better. But here's, here's the problem. You and I constantly flirt with and pursue things that are dangerous. Not just physically, but to our souls. And see, we've got this, this theme that we've been going through. And, and we've said that, that, our, that our, we are not a body with a soul. We're what? This is a big thing. Because everybody talks about detoxing your body, but very few people talk about detoxing your soul. If, if your soul lives on after your body dies, then we better spend some time talking about how you can be 
cleansed in your soul. And so how we're going to do that today is we're going to go back to the very first of the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Not the Ten Suggestions. All right, let's go to the first one. Let's look what it says in the message translation. No other gods, only me. Anybody unclear on that? No other gods, only me. Okay, look what it says. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form, anything, whatever, whether of things that fly or walk or swim. Now, in the NIV, New International Version, which is one that I memorized years ago, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. When I was a kid, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of confused by this because I thought, well, that means you could have God first, and then you could have other gods. And I knew you, it were, they were lowercase g's. I knew there was one uppercase g, the one big god, but it seemed to be that, that you could have other gods until I learned the literal meaning of the word. And the literal meaning is, you shall have no other gods in my sight. Question, where can the one true God not see? There, there's no such place. So that means one God, one God only. And all of the later translations translate it that way. Later in the book of Deuteronomy, look what it says. I'm going to get your help on this one. So do not, everyone say these next two words with me. So do not, what? Corrupt yourselves by making what? An idol. What kind of idol? In any form. Now listen, he's going to list some possible idols. Whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the forces of the heaven, don't be what? Seduced. I love this phrase. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. Worshiping what? All of the things he's just listed. Uh, I seriously doubt that most of you are going to be driving down the road and you're going to see something that might be roadkill in just a few moments and you're going to say, I worship that. Because they're pretty stupid, right? They're wandering out there. And, and you're not going to worship something that's wandering out there. I doubt seriously that some of you are going to be driving down the road and you lose control of your vehicle and you look up at the stars and the planets and you say, Venus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, right? Pluto, have you heard about Pluto? That's messed up. If you're a Psych fan, you, you know that, that reference. If you don't, um, go watch Psych. It's a great, great little series. I don't think any of us are going to worship things that are on the ground. I don't think that we're going to worship animals or stars or, or things that are in the ocean, right? That seems kind of dumb to us. The idea of worshiping something carved by human hands is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's stupid to me what they did in the Old Testament. Who's going to worship a golden calf? They've seen God part the Red Sea. And what do they do? They go make a golden calf and they say, here's the God that led us out of Egypt. I'm going, really? A cow? You couldn't come up with something better than a cow to worship. And then one that you made, I just don't understand that. And because we don't understand idol worship, we tend to think it doesn't exist today. And I want to tell you that it's just as real today, probably more so in the United States than ever. The problem is we've been seduced into worshiping something that is not the true God. And we've got to pay attention to this. Now, I've, I've read a lot of uh, stories of missionaries that have gone all over the world. Missionaries go into third world countries. I've read a lot about idol worship. I've seen some idol worship myself. And I was reading this week about a guy who uh, was in India. And in India, they didn't have any of the conveniences that we have. And he actually came across this woman who was literally sacrificing a chicken. She's cutting its head off. She's pouring out the blood. She's sacrificing. She has the idol right there. She's got this altar and everything. And so he comes up and he starts talking to her because he wants to know what's going on. And, and so she raises chickens for the sole purpose of sacrificing them to her idol. 
In the course of the conversation, he finds out that she's been to the United States. So he thought, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what she thinks. And so he says, what do you think of my country? Here's what she said. I hated it with all my heart. It was the most disgusting place I've ever seen. I will never go back. So he's kind of curious, and he's like, well, what, what was so bad about it? And she said, it's the most idolatrous nation on the planet. Irony alert. Blood, chicken, altars, idols, sacrifice. Okay, anyway. But he doesn't get off on that. He says, well, tell me about it. She said, well, for one thing, y'all, y'all get ready for this. For one thing, you all worship your stomachs. Most of you are overweight because food is your God. You talk about it, you dream about it, you're consumed by it, and you've got huge stores with aisles and aisles of food that make you fat. Restaurants are everywhere, and all you do is eat the things that make you fat. Idolatry! I mean, she is worked up, but she's not done. It's pathetic how you've got multi-million dollar facilities, and then you fat people dress up in someone else's uniforms and paint your faces and go and cheer as if you could really catch a ball. (laughs) It's idolatry! Man, she knows this, doesn't she? But she's not done. In your homes, you have your little altar of worship. You take this thing and you put it on the wall and you plug it in. Then you put all of your chairs around this television and you align your whole house and your family and you gather around it just to worship it for hours and hours, everything that comes out of that screen. She said, it is idolatry. Can you say, ouch? She, she knows this pretty well. But, but she couldn't see her own idolatry. She can see ours, but she couldn't see hers. And that's because she's been seduced into worshiping what's false. We have too. And, and Jesus recognized this, and that's why he said in Mark eight thirty six, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his what? There is something beyond this world, and you can forfeit it by what you do or don't do in this world. Now... I don't know if anybody's squirming yet. Anybody squirming in your seats? Because back when, when I was growing up in church, I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and whenever the, the, the preacher would make people squirm, they would say, that preacher's gone from preaching to meddling. And, and I'm not trying to stick my nose in your business. I'm not trying to meddle today. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that you may have a false god, and I want you to recognize it and know what to do to dethrone it. That's the whole purpose of today. So if we're going to figure out how to dethrone the idols of our soul, first thing we've got to do is identify our idols. You can't do anything about a problem that you don't even know you have. Look what David says in Psalm 24, starting in verse 3. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? So in other words, he's saying, who can come before God? Who can enter into God's presence? And then he answers his own question. He, who's cl- who, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then everybody say this, this next phrase that's, that's underlined and bolded here. Who can approach God? One, say it with me, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Now, sometimes we do things that are, that are harmless, But a lot of times we do things and we are involved in things that are dangerous. And I want you to recognize the difference. So um, if if you want to determine whether something is dangerous or harmless in your life, you need to ask three questions. First question you need to ask is, how do you spend your time? And I'm not just talking about some idle time. I mean the majority of your time. How do you spend it? Second question is, how do you spend your money? You need to look at the patterns of your money because you may find out that you have an idol. And the third thing is, what do you talk about? You see, if, if you find that the vast majority of your time is focused on the same thing over and over and over again, that's a red flag, and it could be that that's an idol in your life. You know people who are workaholics? Is it possible that work is an idol? Yes, and, and it probably is. 
Um, if, you, if you look at your bank account and you realize that a lot of your money is going to certain activities, maybe it's, it's hobbies, whatever, but it's going to the same place, and then you notice that very little or nothing is going to God, that's a huge red flag, and it may be that you have an idol. The idol could be money or it could be whatever you're doing with that money. And then start paying attention to your conversations because what matters to you is where your conversation will drift. If in your conversation there's never a mention of God, He is not on the throne of your life. You start listening to what you talk about over and over, and it's possible that that is an idol in your life. Now, quick audience participation. Do this from time to time. Tell me some things, not that you've done, but people you know who have made idols in their lives. Somebody give me one. Cell phone. phone. Oh, goodness. Yes, cell phone. Can you be around teenagers and ever see their faces? No. Because they're always doing this, right? Cell phone. Somebody else. Music. Computer. Facebook. Pinterest. I wasn't supposed to say that. That's like a, that's like a dirty word to men. Um, somebody else. What's that? Okay. Drugs. Smoking. Video games. Sports. Comfort. All right, let me share some of them that I put down. Some of us, we worship our homes, right? Everything is about the home. Some of us, we don't. Um, we were, we were uh, this week, I went, got free tickets to go to a Baylor University versus Kansas basketball game. And if you ever get free tickets, just bypass it because it's not worth it. It doesn't matter how good Baylor is. They are going to get drummed by Kansas every time. It, but, but Caleb and I are sitting there and we're watching this and, and the cheerleaders come out and there's like way more cheerleaders than there ever were when I went to school there. But it was funny because we're, we're sitting there and, and I start noticing that, that you know, there's probably 20 cheerleaders out there and, and 18 of them are 10 as they can be. They are blonde hair, blue eyed and just Tan. They look Hispanic. They're so tan. And then there's these two lily white cheerleaders. And I said, they didn't tell them the memo, did they? Because, like, they're glowing. And, and they try to stay in the shadows, you know, because they're so white. And I was like, man. And, and Caleb said at some schools, they actually have a requirement that you have to be tanned if you're going to be a cheerleader. And I'm going, that's stupid. <laughs> anyway, that's my opinion. Some people are so worried about their image that they'll do anything. Some people make their kids their idol. Here's a child, and everything in their world revolves around their child. You know what you're teaching your child? That they're the center, that they're a god. Not the, not the uppercase G, lowercase G, that they're idols. And can you say that's unhealthy? Yes. They are not the center of the universe. Um... Let's see, what else did I put? Uh, hobby, a hobby that you will not miss come hell or high water. I don't care who dies. I don't care whose birthday it is. I don't care if it's my anniversary. I'm doing this. That might be a God in your life. And then somebody said, um, oh, I, <laughs> how many of you are on Twitter? I'm, I'm on Twitter, but like I check it once every 18 months. You know, that type of deal. And then usually it's when somebody says, hey, I think your Twitter's been hacked because there's some weird stuff popping up. And so I go check it. Well, I was at a conference uh, this last year and, and the church was so big, they had a technology pastor. You know you're a big church if you got a technology pastor. That's his only job. And so somebody on the staff was wanting to increase his Twitter followers. And so he comes to the technology pastor and he says, hey, can you get me some more followers overnight? And the dude goes, sure. And so he took his credit card and... and uh, 
And, and he gets him some more followers. So the next day, the other pastor comes in, and he, he had gone from 200 to 15,000 Twitter followers. And he's like, "Woohoo! you're awesome, dude. And he goes, no, man, I used your credit card, and I bought 10,000 of them. Then they had a special deal, another five bucks. I could get another 5,000 followers. He goes, what? <laughs> he was so worried about his, he said, you didn't tell me how you wanted to get Twitter followers. I just did the easy way. Some people are worried about how many people are following them. Some people are worried about how many likes they get on Facebook. That's what they build their lives around. We could go on the rest of the day, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to be very, very honest about what your idols are. But don't leave it there. You've got to identify your idols, but you need to tell somebody about them. Do not let this this sermon die when you walk out the door. You need to tell somebody today about your idol. One of the things that I have struggled with um, being a pastor, one of my idols, is the opinion of others. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to, to know how much time and energy I put into my job. I, I want people to, to like me. And God has just been beating me, beating that out of me lately with, with not everybody's going to like me. In fact, if I do my job in a way that pleases God, it is impossible for everyone to like me. Because whenever you stand upon the word of God, there are controversial things in here. There are not politically correct things in here. Jesus said, men will hate you because of me. And he said, but you're blessed if you follow me. See, I'm supposed to, and you're supposed to, please our heavenly father. And if you live in a way that pleases your heavenly father, there are going to be people who do not like you. And so you just have to, you have to dethrone that false god. Another one of my idols is security or this idea of security. I want to be totally debt-free and I want to have enough money in the bank account that, that I don't have to worry about the future. But what that does is it tells God that I'm not, I'm not trusting Him. I'm trusting my bank account. That's a false God. And so there have been times that, that Janie and I, God has told us just to give all of our savings. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And God says it does if you're God. Because I want you to trust me and not something else. So I want to ask you right now just to pray another simple prayer. God, what is it that's hindering me from making you number one? What is my idol? Just right there where you're sitting. God, what is it that I've been seduced into worshiping and I don't even know it? Now, once you identify those idols... Bible tells us very clearly, here's what you're supposed to do with them. Number two, tear them down. And here's the key thought for this whole section. God doesn't ask us to manage our idols. He tells us to destroy them. He doesn't say tolerate them. He doesn't say stay near them. He says obliterate them. And some of you say, isn't that drastic? Nope. Um, What did God say in Exodus 20 verse 3, the very first commandment? No other gods. No other gods. Only me. And if anything is at the top of your list other than God, it has to be dealt with severely. Uh, one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, I love the book of Judges. It's one of the books that I studied when I was in seminary. And, and it's just this cycle. What happens is the Israelites, uh, it says, 
Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and so God judges them. He, he brings uh, oppressors on them, and then he raises a judge to deliver them. Well, one of the judges is Gideon, and it's in uh, chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. And, and so what happens is Gideon is hiding out because the Midianites are coming, all these other people are coming and stealing all of their food. So every time they would raise crops, they would come and steal them. So Gideon goes to a wine press, not at the time that you're supposed to press wine or press grapes so that you get wine. He takes wheat in there, and he's threshing wheat in the wine press because he knows that nobody's going to come by there looking for him threshing wheat. And so he's in there hiding out. And the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord shows up and he says, hi, mighty warrior. The dude's hiding, trying to get some, you know, enough wheat and flour or whatever to, to make some, hey, mighty warrior. And he's going, and he actually says, not me. I'm the least of my clan. My clan is the least of the clans of Israel. He just goes on and on about all this stuff. Anyway, God begins to talk to him, and he realizes he's talking to God. And finally, he says, okay, God, if this is you, I want you to do a few things. So God shows him a couple of things, and then God says, okay, now that you're convinced it to me, it's me, here's what I want you to do. Those, those altars to Baal and Asherah, and this was, this was everybody in Israel and all of the countries around were worshiping Baal and Asherah, which was a fertility god, and so they had these shrines to them. He said, see that shrine out there? I want you to go tear it down. And uh, Gideon is not the mighty warrior yet. He's afraid of what's going to happen because, um, because his dad did it. Look what it says in the scripture. Uh, chapter 6, verse 25. Tear down your father's altar. Whose altar? Your daddy's altar. And cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So he goes out at night to do it because he doesn't want to face his dad or anybody else. Tears it down. And he thinks he's safe. Well, what happens the next day? He's found out. Ironically, his dad says... Y'all don't need to do anything to him. If Baal is a god, let Baal handle him. Everybody goes, oh, that's a good idea, good idea, good idea, yeah. Majority is almost never right, by the way. So the majority is like, yeah, 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 that's a good idea, good idea. So anyway, um, then God says, I want you to go, because this army, this huge army, 130,000 soldiers had surrounded them. And so Gideon gets all of these people together, and he's going to go fight. And God says, nope, there's too many. I think there were about 30,000. 30, and God says, nope, there's too many. I do not want to deliver Israel with 30,000 people because then they'll start to think they're tough and not me. He said, get rid of them. So he gets rid of a couple of thousand. Anyway, whittles it down to 300 people. And then God says, take a lantern, all of you and your 300 buddies, go out and, and stand around the army with your lantern. And then when, I get, when Gideon gives the signal, you break open your lantern, you say, for the Lord and for Gideon. That's the dumbest military strategy I've ever heard. So they go and they do it, and they crack open their little deals, and it says that God threw a confusion in the 130,000 so that they started killing each other. I'm standing there with a flashlight watching my enemies destroy each other. That's pretty cool, right? Now I have a question for you. Would God have used Gideon in such a mighty way if he hadn't obeyed and torn down the Asherah pole? The shrine, but not a chance. God does not use disobedient people. Blessing always comes after obedience, and obedience usually isn't easy. Obedience usually costs you something. And God will use you when you obey. Now, I don't want you to make a mistake of thinking your idol is no big deal. Because I hear this all the time. I hear stuff like, I know the Bible says don't have sex outside of marriage, but I like sex. And I'm like, let me step over here, away from you. 
People say, I know, I know I'm not supposed to get a divorce. God hates divorce, but I, I, I'm just going to do it anyway. Step away. Now, I'm not saying that God won't forgive you for that stuff. Please don't hear me say that. But I'm saying if on the front end you're saying, I'm going to do this anyway and God has to forgive me, God does not have to forgive you. It's the condition of your heart that determines whether you get forgiveness from God. Because the Bible says you must humble yourselves. Humble people don't demand God. You have to forgive me. If your kid comes up and says, I'm sorry, forgive me. When they pick their little booties up off the ground, they're going to have a different attitude, right? God does not have to forgive you if your attitude is wrong. But when you're humble and when you come before God, he will use you in ways that you can't even imagine. See, you have to understand this idea of seduction. Our enemy is so subtle that he will take us off the path and we won't even know that we've strayed. And, and, and I think that's why our lives can be so filled with activity and so empty at the same time because our souls are messed up. Jesus came across a guy one time who idolized his money. And the guy comes up to him and, and he says, hey, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? And he said, oh, honor your father and mother, uh, you know, all of this. He goes, I've done all that. And Jesus knew he had not done the very first commandment. Look what Jesus says to him in Mark 10, 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think that's pretty cool. Even though he was in the midst of sin, Jesus loved him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. When Jesus asks us to tear down our idols, it's not because he doesn't want us to have good things. It's not because he wants us to be miserable. It's because he doesn't want things to have us. This guy was in love with his money. He idolized his money. And the Bible tells us he was very rich and he went away sad because Jesus had asked him to do the very first commandment. Have no other gods in my sight. Jesus loved him. Jesus challenged him. He said, dude, you've been seduced. Loved him enough to tell him the truth, but he also loved him enough to let him walk away. And you know, I've heard people say all the time, Jesus will never ask you to sell everything today and give your stuff away. He wouldn't do that unless it's an idol. We have idols in the form of people that we think we can't possibly be happy without. God, I know this, that everybody's saying I shouldn't be with this person, but God, I love him. I love her. I'm willing to bet most everybody in your family and your friends are not wrong. If, if you're dating somebody and everybody hates them, <laughs> everybody else isn't stupid. you stupid. Right? Okay. I am meddling now, so I'll back off of that. <laughs> Jesus won't ask you to destroy something unless it's an idol. And then he wants it out of your life. So you identify it, you tear down the idols, and third, you fill your souls with God. My soul yearns and faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. This is David in Psalm 84, 2. Look at this one. Psalm 107, 9. For he satisfies the what? The longing soul. Who satisfies it? God. And fills the hungry soul with good. I like this one. Some of you have heard this. And we used to sing a, a song to this years ago. Uh, a tune to it. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My thirst, 
My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Who uses that kind of language for their relationship with God anymore? Almost no one. And I think that's why our souls are empty. Because we're thirsting and hungering for the wrong thing. Because I know a lot of people that use that language for other stuff. Man, I can't wait for the weekend. And it's not the worship. Man, I can't wait for the game. Man, I can't wait for that concert. Man, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. Man, I just need a cold beer. And as if that's going to solve all your problems. And, and our focus is on the wrong thing. And our souls are empty. They've been poisoned. If your soul cries out for anything other than God, then you have an idol. Max Licato tells a story about a fish. He says, once a time there was a fish in the ocean, and some caring people took the fish out of the ocean and put it on the beach. And then he says, is, is the fish happy on the beach? What do you think? Is the fish happy? No. So he said, okay, let's give the fish a really nice house. And so they gave this fish this great big house and a lot of money. And then they asked the question, is the fish happy? Is the fish happy? No. So um, what's the fish going to be doing? He's probably going to be going, you know, got the gills going, eyes bugging out his head. Y'all seen that, right? So they said, oh, we know, we know. Let's give the fish a beer and a Playfish magazine so he can check out the tails on those other fish. That'll make him happy, right? (laughs) Right? No. Why won't that make the fish happy? Because he's got everything that the world says you need to have. Because the fish was not created for the beach. Fish was created for the water. You were not created for this world. And so if you hunger and thirst for the things of this world, you will never be satisfied. You have a heavenly father that created your soul to live for eternity. And that's why when we're at funerals, that's why we're like, this shouldn't be happening. Death isn't normal. Death isn't natural. The Bible says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. And so when somebody dies, we're like, that's not right. That shouldn't be happening. And God says, their soul is not dead. They are in a place created for them. And they are fulfilled and they're satisfied never to hunger, never to thirst, never to cry again. So if you are unsatisfied in this world, you're supposed to be. Because your Heavenly Father has something better for you. My soul thirsts for the living God. The one true God. I want you just to read the uh, words of this this old hymn. And we're just going to listen to it sung once and then we're going to... Have a time of silence so you can detox your souls.
So the challenge is to quit looking at the things of this world and look at your Heavenly Father. So we've done this every week. We're just going to take a moment, bow your heads, and in complete silence, I want you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and tell him whatever you need to tell him today. Lord, it's my prayer that we would learn to identify our idols and then tear them down and to constantly put our eyes upon you. God, we just ask that you would help us to apply this to our souls so that we can can learn how to be content in this world that was never made to satisfy us and that we can help others come into your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen.